All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? <clears throat> Man, don't overwhelm me with your feedback there. Come on, how are you doing? Good to have all of you. Welcome to church. I'm so glad you got up this morning and made a conscious decision to come into the building to be with God's people. We're glad you're here. Some of you are here for the first time. Welcome to New Life Church. I'm grateful that you uh, worked up the courage to walk into this big blue building only to discover it's not a Walmart. We get that a lot. Welcome, but welcome anyway. We're glad to have you. And I'm Pastor Brady. I've been here 14 and a half years and uh, good to be your pastor. It's good to start a new year off well with you. And we're starting a new series today about who is God. I've yet to inform the worship team apparently, but we'll get that settled this week. Who is God? <laughs> Actually, I announced it like several times, but they're back there in the back playing cards or something. So I don't really know what they're doing. So for the next six months, what we're going to do is something we've never done here before. We're gonna talk about God for six months. Now we've talked about God, but we're gonna talk about the three persons of the Trinity and we're going to do it uh, about six or seven weeks on who is God the Father. And then we're gonna take about six or seven weeks and talk about who is Jesus? Who is he? Who, who was he? And who is he today? What does that mean for us? And then starting on Easter Sunday through Sunday of Pentecost, we're gonna talk about who is the Holy Spirit. And so it's going to be an opportunity for you to invite people. There are a lot of people in all of our lives who are spiritually hungry, they're thirsty, they're curious, they're asking questions. So this is not just a sermon series for them, but I believe this is going to awaken something in all of us to help us fall more in love with God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles today, Turn with me to Exodus 32, the 32nd chapter of Exodus. And while you're turning there, I just wanna say thank you to all of you who came out and helped us launch our first week of prayer meetings this week at the World Prayer Center. About 900 people showed up this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 7.30 in the morning and at 12 noon every day. Now the good news is that's gonna continue for several weeks now, if several months. We're gonna gather every single day and I want you to pick one of those times out and own it. This is not my prayer meeting. These are not my prayer meetings. These are our prayer meetings. And I just tell you, I know you say, well, Pastor Brady, can I pray by myself? Yes, and you should pray by yourself. But there's something powerful about the gathering of people when they pray. In fact, uh, a lot of people t say to me, I want to, you know, I want the miracles that I see in the book of Acts. I want, I want to live in a church where we see those kinds of miracles. Let me give you a couple of thoughts about that. Number one, the book of Acts is a story that took about 25 years to write. And it was a story of a gathered church that knew how to pray. So those miracles didn't happen in six months. Those miracles happened in 25 years. The book of Acts took about 25 years of stories. And it was a story of people who knew the power of the church gathering and praying. In fact, almost all of the miracles that we see in the book of Acts were a result of the church gathering and praying. So I want you to gather with me this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 8.30 in the morning, or 7.30 in the morning and 12 noon, okay? All right, are you in the book of Exodus, okay? We're gonna talk for the next several weeks about who is God the Father? And what, who is he to the people of Israel? Who is he to, to us today? And why is that important? So the book of, in the book of Exodus, what I'm about to read to you should have been one of the highlights in the story of Israel. But it was actually one of the low moments 
How many of you know that sometimes the high moments of life and the low moments of life can happen simultaneously, right? They can happen within days or weeks and hours of one another. And this is what's happening in this story. So Moses is at the top of the mountain, the holy mountain of Israel. And God himself, look at this, God himself takes two pieces of stone. And the Bible says that God chiseled the stone, made it into tablets, and then chiseled out the Ten Commandments with his own hand. So God made the tablets, God wrote on the tablets, and God gave those tablets to Moses. Let me ask you a question. Those are expensive tablets, right? Indiana Jones has been looking for those tablets for a long time. He has them. I've watched all the movies. He has not found them, all right? That's the Ten Commandments. Now, he's standing there. Think about Moses. Holy God has come down, chiseled tablets, handed him the Ten Commandments. He's holding them in his hand. That's a highlight. That should have been one of the epic moments in the story of Israel. But something horribly wrong is going on down below in the mountain. As soon as Moses disappears into the holy mountain, the people of Israel lost their mind. I mean, lost their conscience, they lost their convictions, they, they, uh, they gathered up all their gold and they made a golden calf. So the God who had rescued them out of Egypt, who had helped them cross the Red Sea with the Pharaoh's army bearing down on them, who had provided manna, who had provided a fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them to the promised land. That God, they had quickly abandoned him. So let me just stop here for a moment, New Life Church. Is If it's possible for a people who have had that kind of encounter with God to drift away from God, is it possible that we, New Life Church, in 2022 can find ourselves drifting away from knowing this God? And part of my conviction for this series of messages is for your eyes to focus back in on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and for whatever has distracted us, whatever has captured our attention, for that to drift away and for us to focus our eyes back on the God who loves us, the God who saved us, the God who found us in darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. Well, so Moses is now has the Ten Commandments, and God says to him, hey, you need to go back home. Things are not going well down below. And all chaos had broken out. So here's Moses, think about Moses, holding these sacred tablets in his hands, walking down a treacherous path, gets down to the bottom of the mountain, and sure enough, these people have lost their mind. Raucous, hedonistic party has broken out. All kinds of flesh, all kinds of sin, all kinds of debauchery is happening down below. I mean, they have totally come unhinged, all right? Let's pick that up now in verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the golden calf and the dancing. Now God's not against dancing, God just, uh, but he is against dancing in front of worthless idols, okay? So don't confuse those two things. So Moses' anger became hot. He's mad. All right, stop just for a moment. Moses' first response to the sins of man is what? Hot anger, unbridled anger. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them. God had made those tablets. God had imprinted his commandments upon them 
And when Moses sees the sins of the people, he's furious, he's angry, and he casts down the thing that was most precious and breaks them. So while God is speaking to Moses, now the, the, the people below are building this golden calf of worship, know this, and in an outburst of anger, God, Moses breaks these tablets. All right, how many of you growing up were the kid that broke stuff at your house? How many of you were the, all the rambunctious children, please raise your hand, let's confess. It's okay, I'm not gonna punish you. So I was that kid, I was the oldest son, the middle child, had a lot to prove, older, I had an older sister, younger son, so I was lost in the middle. And I'll never forget this one particular moment. I was probably eight years old, living in the house that my parents had built. And my mom and dad didn't have a lot of nice stuff, but my mom, who was kind of an artist, had created this shadow box, and inside of it was all kinds of little artistic things, and she had put a lot of work and effort, expense into this, and it was hanging on the wall in a very prominent place near our family dining room. So the family dining room and the living room were only a few inches apart. It's kind of a small house, okay? So you could go into one and out the other without knowing, all right? So my brother and I, my, I was about eight, my brother was about six, and we were big Dallas Cowboy fans back then. Roger Staubach was the quarterback, and I'll never forget, a football game had broken out in the living room. So, but I was throwing a real football in the house to my six-year-old brother, and one of my passes went a little high, think Tim Tebow, went a little high, incomplete, and over my brother's head, and it crashed right into the shadow box and just destroyed it. I mean, it hit the floor, a thousand million pieces all over the living room. You know that moms have 12 sets of ears and a hundred set of eyes. They're like the creature in Book of Revelation, right? They never miss anything. My mom, as soon as it hit the floor, my mom knew what had happened. And she cries out, what happened? And she comes in and she yelled at us. In fact, I can still hear it. I'm 55 years old, I'm still working through the trauma <laughs> in weekly therapy right now, the angry outburst from my mom. All the parents in the room, I mean, how many of you have blown it this week? When you see your kids fail, right? When we see the failure of our children, sometimes the first response, the natural response, is an outburst of anger. All right, so Moses now knows that he's gotta go back up to that mountain and tell God that he dropped the 10 commandments and he broke them. Because Moses was not just responsible for those tablets. Moses was also the leader of that people. And that people had fallen into desperate sin, rebellion, witchcraft in some ways. So now God says to Moses, come back up here. You ever been called into the principal's office? You ever been called into your boss's office after making a mistake? Okay, this is the epic call into the principal office moment. God says, Moses, come back up here. So Moses, empty handed at the time, is instructed by God, you make the next set of tablets. So Moses down below, this, you may not have ever seen this in the story, God made the first set of tablets and Moses brought them down the mountain. Moses in verse chapter 34 has to make his own set of tablets and carry them up the mountain to meet with God. Now if this is actually a type and shadow of our worship, this is what actually happens in worship every single Sunday. We come in here with our tablets empty 
and we come to meet with God with an empty slate. And we say to God, God, write upon the tablets of our heart what you're saying to us right now. And this is actually gonna become a type and shadow of New Testament worship, bringing our best offerings to the Lord, but they're blank and empty, and asking God to write upon the tablets what he's saying to us. This is what happens when we come together like this. So Moses, this time, has to make his own set of tablets, and he, he makes them and shapes them, and he walks up the mountain with the empty tablets. So Moses, chapter 34, verse four says, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one, and he went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning. Can we just stop for a moment? Can you imagine the thousand thoughts that's going through Moses' mind as he's headed back up to meet with a holy God? He knows, one thing he knows about God at this point, he's holy. He's holy, the most holy. And he went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. And then the Lord comes down in the cloud. So a cloud overshadows the top of the mountain. So if you weren't nervous before, suddenly it gets cloudy up there. And a holiness unlike anything you've ever experienced. Think about the most epic encounter with God you've ever had and multiply that by 100,000, this holiness, the goodness, the power of God come down upon the mountain and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, God himself in a physical way. Now, God, now Moses has heard the voice of the Lord before this point. That's how he got the 10 commandments. But he's about to have a, a, an encounter that he's never had before. God's about to come nearer to him than he's ever come near before. And the Lord's about to say something about himself. One thing I've learned as an older man now that it, it, when I'm getting to know someone, the best way to get to know who another person really is, is simply to listen to them. Because if you listen long enough to another person, they will tell you who they are. You just listen to them. Listen to what they say about themselves, and most importantly, listen to what they say about other people. Because over time, if you listen to what they say about themselves and what they say about other people, you will discover the true character and the true nature of that person. So God is about to say something about himself, and he's about to help Moses understand the real nature of God. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. And leave that up for a moment because this is really important in our divided tribal world that we live in. This language, this Hebrew language here, he's talking about love for people outside his natural tribal boundaries. He's talking about love for people that are outside the family at the moment. What he could have said is, I maintain my love to just the Jewish people. That's not what he said. I maintain my love to thousands which means his love transcends cultural, economic, social, and political boundaries. This is his language, not mine. He's saying my love actually goes further and to more people than you imagine. So we're gonna tackle this later on in this series, but New Life Church, you do know that God loves people that you don't. 
that's very important now to understand the Bible. You will not appreciate the Bible or even appreciate Jesus if you don't believe that. You have to believe that God's love transcends our ability to love. It transcends our abilities to see the good in other people. God sees goodness in other people that we can't see. So he maintains love to thousands and he forgives. Listen to the things that he forgives. He forgives wickedness. He forgives rebellion. And he forgives sin. Those are the three of the most difficult things that any of us have to forgive. When you see this in another human being, and some of you have seen wickedness in another human being. It's out there, right? You have seen rebellion in other people. Maybe, you're, maybe you've seen it yourself. You certainly have seen sin inside your own heart, right? Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He says, by the way, I forgive them, and I maintain my love for them. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, we're going to talk about, in this sermon series, about God's judgment, about what God does. How will God judge those who are far away. In fact, we recite it in the Nicene Creed that, he, that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And this is lifted right out of the book of Exodus. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We're gonna talk about that in the weeks to come. But listen to this, listen to this list of attributes that God gives himself. He says, I am compassionate and gracious. The first thing he says about himself is I'm good. Let me ask you a question. When you hear the word compassion and gracious, it's synonymous with the word good. So the very first thing that God says about himself, I'm good. And he's slow to anger, abounding. In other words, overflowing in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and he punishes the guilty. So when the writer of Psalm, when the, the writer of Psalm 119 was trying to tell people about the unchangeable, immutable characteristics of God, here's what he said. He said, you are good and you do good. Now stop, leave that up for a moment. Because those are two different things. You are good is different from doing good things. A bad person can from time to time do good things, right? But when you are good, what you're saying is that my unchangeable, irrevocable, the core nature of who I am is goodness. In fact, what God is saying is, I am the source of all goodness because my nature is good. I am good, therefore I do good. Are you catching this today? That's two different things to imagine. Now, moms and dads, grandparents, the number one reason young men and women are not wanting to follow God right now is because they're not convinced that he is good. You can tell them all you want about how powerful he is, and that is true. You can tell them all you want about how wise and how knowledgeable 
He is, and that is true. But if God is not good, then he is not worth our worship. Because if God is just powerful, but he's not good, seems to me that God could turn into a bully. If he is all wise and all powerful, but not good, seems like God could manipulate us. But if God is good first, and then we know he's powerful, and then we know he's wise, that's an important process to understand, okay? You have to talk to your kids about the goodness of God before you talk to them about anything else. And you know, that's, so that's the number one reason when you talk to people that are seekers, atheists, those who identify as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, they say to us, I would like to follow your God. And there's two reasons why I choose not to follow your God. They say this to me. I've had conversations with them many, many times. I don't believe God is good. And if he is good, why are so many of his followers not good? So New Life Church, what you post on Facebook matters. What you say matters. If you're going to identify yourself with Yahweh God, if you're going to say, I love God and God loves me, but you're mean, and you're vengeful, and you're spiteful, and you're accusatory, and you're angry all the time, that does not prove to the people that are watching you. You might win an argument, but you're losing a soul. You might could win your political argument, but the goal in our lives is not to win political arguments. The goal for the Christ-following, God-loving person is to be an ambassador to the good God. Do you understand that's our mission? I'm not on an assignment to a political party, I'm on an assignment to a resurrected king who is a good God. If you're going to have political arguments, which I'm fine with those, I'm okay with political arguments, just do not violate the goodness of God for the sake of winning your political argument because you've now won an argument but you've lost a soul. And at the end of the day, Jesus came and died for human beings. Therefore, when we talk, this is a huge responsibility. I know how this is an, almost an impossible task to reflect the goodness of God, but that's what we're called to do. And now if I were the enemy, and if I, my primary mission, what do you think the primary mission of, the, of our Satan, our enemy, our, the accuser of the brethren, his primary mission is to keep people away from God, amen? That's, that's as simple as I can make it. He does not want you to know that God is good. Because, listen very carefully, and write this down, these, these are some good notes I'm about to give you, okay? If God is good, then we can approach him. And listen, once you come close to him, and you see that he's good, well, salvation is a done deal. I mean, there's, there's just, you're gonna wanna follow him then. If you come close to him, like Moses just did on the mountain. Moses and all of his failures and all of his mistakes, Moses comes before this God and discovers that he's good. Oh, you know what Moses said earlier? He says, I don't wanna leave here unless you go with me. I'm not gonna take a step unless you, I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Now, why would Moses say something like that? Because God's good and I wanna follow him. 
So if I'm the enemy and I want to keep people away from God, what I try to convince you is God isn't good. And by the way, if God isn't good, I'll run away from him with you. We should all run. Because if he's that powerful and he's that all-knowing, but he's not good, we should all run and hide in the caves right after this service. But he is good. And you come, can come near him. And the enemy's trying to convince people that he's not. In fact, our enemy wants us to believe that God is always angry because it'll keep us away from him. That's why our witness, what we say, how we invite people into the presence of the Lord is important. Now, skip down to verse 29, because after all this happens, something remarkable happens to Moses. Exodus 34, skip down to verse 29. It says, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain. So the, the, the two blank tablets that he took to the top of the mountain are now re-inscribed with the words of the Lord. And he brings them down to present them to the people down below. Listen to what happens. So when Aaron, and, uh, and, and go back, I'm sorry, go back to verse 29, and that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. I mean, he had a Neutrogena moment here. I mean, he's, he, something has happened here. Mary Kay has visited Moses because something has happened to his skin. People are saying, Moses, I've never seen your skin look so nice. It's glowing. What in the world? How expensive was that jar? Moses is shining. Something physical has happened, verse 30. And when Mary, I mean, when Aaron, I'm talking about Mary Kay, I got Mary Kay stuck in my mind. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him because something radical had shifted in him. He went up there, listen, Moses went up there embarrassed and ashamed, and he comes down shining and changed. Something has happened. Now, when I read this this week, I, I've read this story many, many times, and I, I just felt like the Lord gave me a word for this, 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 this sermon today, and it's very simple. And I, I believe there's a noticeable physical response to encountering a good God. You show me someone who is constantly in prayer. Show me someone who lives with a hunger for the presence of the Lord, and I'll show you someone whose face shines. For 26 years as a pastor, I have, I have counseled all kinds of people and all kinds of married couples. I can tell within 30 seconds when a couple walks into my office, I can tell right away, are they in an abusive relationship or are they in a life-giving, spirit-filled relationship? Because I can tell by the countenance of their face. The Bible uses the word countenance. Do, you want to do a, a, a fascinating word study in your, in your scripture study this week? Look up the word countenance. Look up the word face in the Bible and see how often the writers of the scripture uses the word countenance to describe an encounter with the Lord. Something happens on your face and you can tell when someone's been in an abusive relationship where they're being talked down to, where they're being shamed, where they're being embarrassed, something over time, the life drains out of their face, they're, they're, they get downcast. 
The Bible says their soul becomes downcast and their face becomes downcast. But when you've been around someone who lives around encouraging people, someone who loves a life of prayer, someone who enjoys the presence of God and celebrates their relationships with the people of God, something else begins to happen. I can tell a saint, it's really easy to look around the room and spot the saints in the room because their eyes are bright, their face changes, something happens in their countenance. When I was in August of 1988, it was a Saturday night, and I was driving home, I dropped Pam off. We'd been on a date, and she and I were having all kinds of conversations about our future together, about our walk with God. And on that drive home that night, I made a conscious, real decision to follow Jesus. That's when I really surrendered my life completely and fully to following God. I've never looked back from that night, August of 1988, on a Saturday night. I got home kind of late, I went to bed. I, I lived with my parents at the time because we were, I was about to graduate college, I was about to get married, I was saving my money. And so I, I, I was living with my parents and I woke up the next morning and I, I yelled out to my mom and dad, hey, wait for me, I wanna to go to church with you, which was a shock to them. And I walked into the kitchen, my mom was cooking breakfast and she turned around and looked at me and she said, what in the world happened to you? Now on previous Sunday mornings, she could tell that something had gone on that night and it wasn't holy. Because I didn't live a righteous life. But something else had happened in my life. She said, what has happened to you? I said, Mom, last night I just felt it's time for me to give my life away to the goodness of God. And I just I don't know what I said to her. She says, I could tell because I could see it on your face. See, something happens. It's not just a spiritual revolution that happens. It manifests itself physically in our lives. And this is why, listen to this, every, almost every Sunday, not every Sunday, but almost every Sunday, we send you out of here with the ironic blessing, the blessing of the priest Aaron. And it's found in Numbers chapter six. And you've heard us pray this over you many, many times. Let me just read this to you again, okay? Numbers six, verse 24 says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Listen to this, the Lord make his face shine upon you. And that's lifted right out of the story of Moses going to the top of the mountain. What happened to Moses at the top of that mountain? The Lord's face shined upon him. The Lord blessed him. The Lord showed his goodness to him. And it says, listen to this, verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Why did God say about himself, I am compassionate and gracious, I am full of grace. Verse 26, and he says, the Lord lift up his countenance, see the word countenance here, and give you peace. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is what we're speaking over you as you leave. This is what we want to happen. We want you to come into this place and have a personal encounter with a good God who happens to be all powerful and all knowing and all the other attributes. But what we want you to discover first and foremost is this God that we choose to worship is really, really good. And therefore, I can go out and be a witness to the world around me about the goodness of this God. 
So we do this at the end of the service because that's the last thing we want you to remember as you leave the church. And the church has been doing this, by the way, for 2,000 years. It's not new to us. For 2,000 years, we send the church out. So here's what we're doing that. We're, the world we're returning to may not be good, but our God is good. And he wants good things for each of us. And the same encounter that changed the face of Moses is the same encounter that Jesus wants each of us to have. I'm gonna read one more scripture to you, Hebrews chapter four, because Jesus, this is exactly why Jesus came. The real reason that Jesus came to the earth was to show us that his father, that he knew better than any of us, is good. And Hebrews talks about this, says, seeing then that we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, verse 16 is the key for your first today. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Who's sitting at the throne of grace? Father. And Jesus says, I want to take you from the place of sin and despair. Here, take me by the hand. I'm going to take you by the hand. Come with me. This is what he's saying. Come with me. I'm going to take you right now into the most holy place than you could possibly imagine. And when you're feeling the most unholy, when you're feeling the most broken, when you're feeling like you are at your most shameful place in your life, at that point, I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to take you into the most holy place that you can't get there on your own. You can't work your way into this throne room. I'm gonna walk you right in. I'm gonna take my father's hand and your hand and I'm gonna have you look him in the eye and what you're going to see is grace because he's good. That's the Jesus I'm telling you about. He wants to take you at your darkest, most miserable place and take you into the most holy place and introduce you to a good, good father. Jesus represents us, you and me, to a good father. That is the good news of the gospel. And would you stand with me this morning as we pray together? Stand up with me this morning. I know that there are some of you walked in, in fact, I suspect that you have some type of spiritual hunger, <clears throat> some type of spiritual curiosity for you to get up on a Sunday morning and come into this room. I suspect that those of you watching online that there's something in you that is hungry for God. Maybe you're a longtime believer like I am. Maybe you're brand new to this faith. Listen, the first thing you have to know about God the Father is not about how powerful He is, not about how wise He is, first thing you have to know about him is he's good. And I believe there are some of you now, you're ready to say yes to this good father, this good God that loves you, he knows you. And so I'm, and I'm gonna pray a prayer, the same prayer that I prayed in my red Chevrolet pickup in August of 1988, it's the same prayer. And I'm gonna lead you in that prayer, it changed my life that night, 34 years later, my life has forever been changed because I prayed a very simple prayer and believed a very simple prayer. So I'm gonna pray with you today and some of, some of you are ready to say yes to Jesus. You've been 
exploring the idea of Jesus, you've been thinking about Jesus, you've been studying about Jesus, you've asked people about Jesus, and now you're ready to say yes to Jesus. So I wanna pray this prayer with you. A lot of you online, you're in your apartment, in your home, maybe you're wherever you are today. I wanna to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. So I wanna pray this, Father in heaven, all of us in this room are sinners who need grace. And nobody, no one, no person in this room can save themselves. So Father in heaven, I need you. I've tried to save myself, but I cannot do it. So I come today and I confess that I'm, a, that I'm lost, but I know you found me. I know you've been looking for me. And I say yes to you today. I say yes to you today because I believe you're good. You're, you're forgiving, you're kind and you're compassionate and you're full of mercy. So I surrender myself to you. I choose today to make Jesus Lord of my life. I pray you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd walk with me every day. Help me to follow you every day of my life. And I'm so grateful. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we just thank the Lord for anyone who prayed that prayer, grateful for it. Well, Pastor Brady, does anyone ever pray that prayer? Next time we call for water baptism, you'll see who prayed that prayer. And last year, almost 550 people said yes to coming into the waters of baptism. Listen, all we're going to do at New Life Church is make it really easy for people to find Jesus and trust that it's the Holy Spirit's work that draws people to him. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the best soul winner of all. He knows how to help people find Jesus. And so I want you in the next five or six months, would you pray with me that all across Colorado Springs and all across El Paso County, that all of those who are calling on the name of the Lord will find him. And you can help me do that by inviting people and telling people to listen to these messages and inviting them with you to come sit with you. And let's, let's, let's ask the Lord in these next six months for a harvest of souls to come into the kingdom of heaven. Amen, will you agree with me for that? So we're gonna sing this song. I want this song to be a song of gratitude. I want you to just remember as you're singing this song, listen, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember in the last year of how good God has been to you. I want you to remember every time you've bumped into the goodness of God. Sing this song with me and in just a few minutes, we're gonna to come to the table of the Lord. Let's sing together. We've tasted and seen the goodness of God. We've never been the same. Let's sing it together. Amazing love that welcomes me. The kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving God is God you're so good sing it to him God you're so good God 
in this goodness of the Father that we come with our brokenness this morning and with good grace, he rewrites his name and his words on the tablet of our hearts. It was on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffer and die and betrayed that he gathered his disciples and he took the bread and after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take, eat and do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together this morning. And on that same night, he took the cup and after he gave thanks, he gave it to the disciples and he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take, drink and do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together this morning. Come on, let's just begin to give thanks for the goodness of our father. He's so good. He's so good. So good. Thank you, Jesus. you joined us if you said yes to Jesus for the very first time today or maybe you've just come back because you finally were introduced to a God that you have always wanted to know we want to invite you up as our prayer team comes forward we want to pray with you and just continue to show you all the different ways that you can meet this good God here at New Life Church also this coming Wednesday we have New Life Next in the World Prayer Center at 6 30 p.m. this is an incredible way for you to get to know the different ministries of New Life our different leaders and for you to personally get connected here at New Life Church and as we leave here this morning would you just open up your hands all across this room. I've asked the team to put up that beautiful blessing that Pastor Brady prayed over us. Receive this as you go out this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it's in the name of Jesus that we all pray this morning. Amen and amen. We would love to get to know you out there in Connect Central. Please come out and say hello. We will see you next week.